That, uh, that, that song is always incredibly moving to me. Uh, February 8, 2018, I got a phone call, hysterical phone call from my daughter who had just been in a terrible car accident. She had been uh, T-boned at 55 miles an hour by a drunk driver right here at, on Edder Drive. She's coming home from school. And uh, uh, looking at the car and EMS and everything and... and she was fine. She had just a bruised leg. That happened on a Thursday, and that Sunday, she was leading worship, and she had to sit down on a, on a stool because she couldn't stand up. Her leg was so sore, and that was the first time as she led that song. Uh, that's my Elsie is Alive song, and uh, things could have been so much worse, and uh, I'm just very grateful. Every time I hear that song, I'm just overwhelmed with gratitude for the Lord, for the things that could be so much, be so much worse, and they aren't. Um, welcome, my name, is, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here, especially if you're joining us for the first time. I'm very glad you're here. Uh, those of you that are joining us online, um, this is Daylight Savings uh, Time Day, and I actually had a Facebook challenge. My question is, how many of you all would vote for me if, if I ran for Congress and the only platform I had was getting rid of Daylight Savings Time. How, how many of you, how many, okay, wait, uh, okay, yes, because no one likes Daylight Savings Time. I have no idea why we do it, but that would be my platform, vote for Kibler uh, for Congress. Okay, all right, but today, the main thing is we cannot do the work of the kingdom if we're not connected to the king. Um, listen to this quote, I love this. Superficiality is the curse of our age. The doctrine of instant satisfaction is a primarily a spiritual problem. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. Guys, this entire series that we're in, called The Church That Puts God First, is about, um, is about how we as a church accomplish what God wants us to do on this planet. Um, Catalyst has always been a church of action. Uh, they're amazed. People, when they hear about all the ministries that we do and all the things, we can't believe that we're this little church in the middle of nothing, Nicholasville, nothing, Kentucky. Um, it's amazing the amount of kingdom work that goes on in this place. Um, and we, we do a lot of things very, very, very well. Uh, we, we are uh, emphasizing missions, being impactful in our community, winning the lost, discipling believers, uh, community groups, adoption orphans, foster care. Uh, the list just goes on and on. That's a great thing. The church should be those things. But we can easily confuse activity with intimacy. Activity, there's a big difference between activity for God and intimacy with God, right? We can easily become unbalanced. That's point number one, we can easily become unbalanced. In my community group, we have an interesting mix of personalities. We have extroverts and introverts. Um, and I realized something a few weeks ago <clears throat> that I've always loved the community aspects of the Christian faith. I love uh, Sunday worship. I love community groups. I love mission trips. I love teaching. I love, lead. I love to preach. I love the interaction. I love the counseling. I, I love going to the jail. I love um, you know, everything like that that, that we do. Uh, but, and, and I kind of assumed, because I'm an extrovert, that everybody likes doing those things. Uh, well, there are people in my group that don't enjoy those things as much. The individual parts of the Christian faith are the things I don't do naturally. Like I said, because getting alone in prayer for an hour, practicing silence and solitude and meditation and contemplation, those are things that don't come natural to me. I have to, I have to confess that because, because I, I love reading the Bible. I love getting alone with that, but that's the discipline study. That's about the only individual part of the faith that I, like, that I do well. I feel like um, it's natural. Uh, kind of like wearing matching socks. I don't do that well. 
okay? That's kind of a, that's a, that's a struggle for me. Um, I'm an unbalanced Christian, just like you are. I'm an unbalanced Christian, uh, and, I, and I realize that I'm not the only one. The opposite of me, there are people who are energized by getting alone in prayer and meditation, silence and solitude, and that's, for you, that's life-giving. It's incredible, and I, and I love that about you because for me, it's very, it's very hard to do. Getting alone with God and meditating, man, that, that is not something I do naturally, something I have to work on, uh, but something that you guys do very well, but that's because I'm an extrovert. God has wired me towards the outward expressions of the Christian faith. Um, and, and just going out and going on a mission trip where you have no idea uh, how to speak the language and being around people that are different than you and connect with, that, that just fires me up. But it doesn't fire everybody up. And uh, if you're an introvert, like many of you are, the things that I love come, are, are tough for you. Uh, community groups are scary for you. Coming to church and sitting here is scary for you. Uh, the, the thought of, of, of sharing your faith with somebody is scary for you because you, that's just not what you do naturally, Okay. Um, that, that, is, that is very difficult. So we're all unbalanced. And because we naturally gravitate towards the things that we, that we like to do, um, uh, uh, we, we can all be unbalanced, but imbalance is dangerous, okay? So here are the things about extroverts. Extroverts, this is, this is where you're in danger. I'm gonna start with my people. My people, the extroverts. I'm gonna start with you guys. This is where we're in trouble. Um, uh, Matthew 7, 22 through 23, Jesus says this, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, drive out demons, and in your name, perform many miracles. And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Okay, well, here are obviously a bunch of extroverts. They've been racking up major wins for the kingdom. They've been preaching, they've been driving out demons, been healing the sick and everything like that. And they expect Jesus to say, well done. But, in, but Jesus looks at him and says, I don't know you. See, we neglect study prayer and meditation, us extroverts, because we don't do those things naturally. And then we burn out. We do things in our own power. And then we quit because it's impossible. Uh, it's not that we don't like Jesus. Far from it. It's just that, man, it's time to go. We've got a whole world to win. We got people that need, that need Jesus. We got broken marriages. We got to get in there. We got to adopt kids. We got to do all this stuff. That's how an extrovert looks at things. But it's kind of like a husband that's really into the family thing. And he makes sure he manages the money correctly, makes sure he saves, makes sure he invests, makes sure he provides, makes sure the kids are at soccer practice and activity, helps with homework, changes the oil in the car, but never takes his wife out for a date and, and neglects a primary relationship in the home. See, he's got all the activity stuff done, but he's neglecting the primary relationship. All that other stuff is great, but when you neglect the primary relationship, extroverts. We're in trouble. And to all you imbalanced extroverts out there like me, Jesus gives us this warning in Matthew 7, 22 through 23, I never knew you. We've confused extroverts, activity for God with intimacy with God. They're two separate things. All right. And so I see all the introverts out there sitting back smugly, you know, judging us extroverts. Not so fast. You introverts, you guys are unbalanced too. And you tend to neglect the outward community parts of the faith. Introverts tend to neglect the command to continue to meet together. Okay, Sunday morning, community groups, being Christian fellowship, uh, tend to neglect the, the, uh, the, the, the command to go into all the world and make disciples, sharing the faith with others. Because being around people and in crowds drains the introvert of energy. They typically kind of just stay in the house. All right? 
Um, they tend to be excellent at prayer and study and, you know, that kind of thing. They love the stories about Jesus withdrawing to the, from the crowds and going alone in prayer. But to you un, imbalanced introverts out there, Jesus gives us this warning in Matthew 10, 32. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. We've been given commands, introverts, to meet together, to interact, to pass on our faith. Okay? We've, so we are all imbalanced. So we understand that it's a discipline for some of us. And it's scary. But you, like me, are imbalanced, and we run the risk of neglecting very parts, important parts of our faith. And because we're imbalanced as people, Catalyst is an imbalanced church. Number two, Catalyst is an imbalanced church. You're sitting in an imbalanced church. Okay? Why? Because you have an imbalanced senior pastor leading it and imbalanced leaders. Our churches tend to take on the personalities of the people leading it. So if Catalyst takes on the personality of the leaders, then this church likes dad jokes and apparently plays with motorcycles. Okay, that's, that's what this church does, all right? But we've done a good job of emphasizing the ex- external parts. We really have worship, missions, going to hard places, etc. We have not done a good job of in- emphasizing the internal parts of, of, of the faith. We have not emphasized prayer very much as a church. Um, we haven't, at least that I can remember, ever called for a church-wide fast to add power to prayers. Uh, we haven't emphasized silence and solitude and meditation, things that have been practiced for 2,000 years by Christians. We must have a balance between the outward and the inward, okay? We have been called to do two things. We've been called to two things, the king and the kingdom. We, we, uh, intimacy with God coupled with activity for God. We can't do the work of the kingdom unless we're connected to the king. And so there are many practices, many practices that cultivate the inner life. And I, I don't have time to talk about all of them. I picked basically four foundational ones that, that, that are kind of the, the entry-level ones that I'm going to talk about today, the things that are, that are very, um, very important. Okay, now these spiritual disciplines I'm about to talk about, they do not connect you with God. Just by doing them, it's, it's not, they're not a checklist. Well, I've, I've done this, I've done this, and okay, now I'm connected with God. No, that's not how it works. But there are practices that without which you cannot connect with God. All right, so the first one is this. Write this down. Number one, foundational ones, prayer. Prayer is a spiritual discipline. Prayer at its heart is communication with God. Matthew 6, 5 through 13, some, some of Jesus' disciples come to him and say, Jesus, hey, we, 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 uh, we, we need something from you. And Jesus says this, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing on the synagogues and on street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling on like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, a lot of people don't know why Jesus said this. They, uh, how many of us realize that Jesus said this in response to a question? His disciples came to him and, and, and they, were, they were asking him things. Now, if you had one question to ask Jesus... After seeing everything, I'm surprised disciples didn't say, hey, teach us how to heal people. That's really cool. You know, teach us how to walk on water. That, 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 sound, that looks awesome. Teach us how to cast out demons. Cast us, te- teach us all this stuff. No, no. <clears throat> they asked him, teach us to pray. Because they obviously saw a connection between the power of Jesus' life 
and prayer. So of all the things they could ask Jesus, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And that's why Jesus said this. Prayer is hard. It's communication with God. There's so many misconceptions about prayer. I I get questions all the time. What do I say? How do I start? Do I bow my head? Do I close my eyes? Do I have to? And I say, well, it depends on where you are. If you're driving, I don't recommend praying with your eyes closed. I don't don't recommend that. If you're alone in your room, yes, it helps you focus. Uh, People say, do I use formal language? Uh, Do I talk normally? Well, I have kids. And let me tell you, they do not walk into the room and say, oh, Father, Thou who gave me life, provide me with every, every good thing, food, shelter, and water. Thou who blesses me with the TV upon which to watch Netflix and Hulu. Who granteth me each and good thing which I enjoy. I beseech thee, give me the car. No, they, they don't do that. If they came in and talked to me like that, I'd, I'd send them to the psychiatrist, man. I mean, that, that's, that's psychotic. Why? why? Be, be, because I'm their dad. And they're my kids. I don't need to know a list of accolades that I've done. I don't need my kids to tell me that, that you know, I don't need that. I know who I am. I, 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 they don't need to rattle off a list of things about me. Like I said, if a kid came up to me, if one of my kids came up to me and rattled off a list of attributes about me, I'd start getting suspicious. Okay, what do you want? You know, seriously, oh great father, thou who just got a raise at work and who cares for his kids' needs without reservation and love. Bestow upon your grateful children thy credit cards. You know, you know that the, you know that the ask is coming. Okay, you think God is any different? Uh, I, I basically would look at them and say, "No, I'm your dad. Talk to me like I'm your dad. Don't talk at me. I love you, and your communication to me is precious to me. So just talk to me like a person. Talk to me." Um, I once walked into my daughter Elsie's room when she was about five years old say goodnight. <clears throat> and she was dying laughing. Now that's not out of character for my daughter to be alone in a room dying laughing. She's in her own little world all the time. But I, I, she was just dying laughing. She was rolling on the floor laughing. And, and, I, and I said, uh, I, what are you doing? She goes, oh, hi dad. I was just telling God a joke. <laughs> Anyone told God a joke recently? I bet that would be a nice change from the communication we send his way a lot of times. Many of us don't know how to pray. One of the greatest insights ever preached at Catalyst was not preached by me, and that's a big surprise. Roddy Salee was preaching several years ago, and he was preaching on Romans 8, 26. Paul wrote, when he wrote this, we don't even know what to pray for this in Romans 8, 26, but the Spirit intercedes for us. And Rodney stood up here on stage and said, doesn't matter if you don't know what to pray. Sometimes we are so broken and so hurting that we don't even know what to say. Sometimes we're so lost and we're so just overwhelmed, we don't even know what to say. Rodney said, just pray. It doesn't matter what words you say. The Holy Spirit's going to take your words and take them right to the Father and tell him exactly what you meant. That's what is one of the most brilliant insights about prayer I've ever heard in my life. So guys, if you don't know what to pray, it doesn't matter. The Holy Spirit of God is going to take your words straight to the ear of God. Some of the best prayers may just be the tears falling on your paper. That may be the best prayer because the Holy Spirit knows exactly what you're saying. So just pray. Just pray. Doesn't matter if you know what to say. Paul didn't know what to say. He just prayed and the Holy Spirit of God 
took the word straight to God. Prayer at his heart is communication with God. You don't need to you don't need to be worried about saying the right things or using the right language. You don't even have to say a lot of things. Maybe the one of the most beautiful prayers is, God, thanks. Remember, it says, don't keep babbling on. You're not going to be heard because of your many words. Maybe a, a, a sentence prayer is the best you got. We'll do it. Just pray. And that opens the communication with God. And the second spiritual discipline is closely associated with prayer. It is uh, Mark 9.29. Is, uh, it's, I'm sorry, it's fasting. In, in Mark 9, 29, uh, some, some disciples come up to Jesus, and they've been trying to uh, help this boy. This boy is, is possessed by a demon, and uh, the demon's basically trying to kill him, throwing him into water and fire, and everything. It's, it's really bad. And they can't drive it out, and Jesus drives it out. And they come up to him and say, why couldn't we do this? Why couldn't we drive it out? And Jesus said this, this kind can come out only by prayer and fasting. If you look in your NIV, the fa and fasting is not there. It's one of the times when the NIV lets us down. The original Greek manuscript, Jesus drew a, a, a parallel between prayer and fasting. Okay? It adds power to our prayers. Fasting, uh, at its heart, is, the, is denial of yourself to uh, prioritize God. Uh, John Piper writes this, the greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. It is not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but endless nibbling at the table of the world. It's not the X-rated video, but the primetime dribble of triviality we drink in every night. For all the ill that Satan can do, when God describes what keeps us away from the banquet table of his love, it is a piece of land, a yoke of oxen, and a wife. John, Luke 14, 18-20. The greatest adversary of love to God is not his enemies, but his gifts, and the most Deadly appetites for the poison of evil, but for the or not for the poison of evil, but for the simple pleasures of earth. For when those replace an appetite for God Himself, the idolatry is scarcely recognizable and almost incurable. All right. So fasting basically shows us what we value. It it, it is a it is a revealing. What I found that when I have gone without food, when I have fasted, and fasting is not getting rid of TV or getting rid of the cell phone. No, it's food. Okay, it is denial of food, denial of calories. And what happens when, you're, when you don't have that is all of the issues and all of the problems and all of the things, all, all, your, your temper, your bad uh, a relationship with someone, your, your uh, lack of faith, all these things bubble to the surface and God begins to deal with them. Okay, that's one thing that happens. It gives you spiritual clarity because you do not have food keeping, your, uh, keep, keep, keeping you satisfied, and all the things bubble up. All right, second thing that happens is that fasting adds power to prayer. All, all the time in Scripture, we, hear, we see people fasting to add power to prayers. Um, and so if there's something really on your mind, something that is bothering you, something that is, that is very, very, very uh, uh, important to you, and it, I, I recommend fasting. Um, and going without food. Um, but most people don't fast. And I think it's because of our indulgent American culture. We can't even imagine being, dis, uh, being in discomfort for even a day. We, we, we think that it is so bad for us and we're afraid of fasting because we think we're going to starve and die. No, no, we're not. You, you're, you have about six months, four to six months of, of, of reserves in you, um, and you are, you are not going to die. Okay. Um, as a matter of fact, this is not the reason to fast, but there are actual benefits to fasting. Here are some. Uh, number one, it promotes detoxification. 
Uh, number two, it rests your digestive system. Number three, it helps soothe arthritis and inflammatory response problems. Uh, it reduces blood sugar. Number five, increases fat breakdown. Number six, corrects high blood pressure. Number seven, promotes weight loss. Eight, promotes a healthy diet. Number nine, boosts immunity. Number 10, helps overcome addictions. There are, those are health benefits of fasting that, that, that go along with the spiritual benefits of fasting. Um, there, there are, there, there has a spiritual discipline that I highly recommend everyone doing. And if you are, if you've never fasted before, I want to challenge you to do that. Maybe sometime this week, next week to add power to your prayers and, and, and to get spiritual clarity. I recommend this starting off. I recommend that you, that the first, uh, that, that you eat breakfast and then that you eat lunch. I'm, I'm sorry, that you miss breakfast, you miss lunch. And then the, the, the next, uh, I'm sorry, you, you eat breakfast, you miss lunch and dinner, and then you sleep during the most difficult part of it, and you break your fast with breakfast the next morning. That's the easiest way to start off, the least discomforting. Um, that's the way to start off, and then, then you increase from there. Um, but fasting is a, is, a, is a tremendous spiritual discipline that has basically gone by the wayside in the church. Um, number three discipline is this, study. I, this, I love this. Study at its heart is training the mind to be able to serve at a high level of effectiveness. Matthew 13, 3 through 8. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the other people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. The birds came to ate it up. Ate it up. Some fell in rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. So other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, 160, 30 times what was sown. So everybody in here has soil. And the word of God is the seed. It's going out and it's landing on four types of soil. The hard packed soil is in here. You're not listening. The, the, you, you have a hard heart towards God. And this, this message is not getting in. All right. That's the first type of soil. The second type of soil is rocky soil. All right, it's the kind that, that gets fired up about everything real fast, but as soon as the newness wears off, man, you're out the door. The third type of soul is the, is, is the worry type. You're, you, you, you hear the word, but you, the thorns, uh, the, the worries about life and the deceitfulness of money is choking it out. The fourth type of soil is the good soul, which receives it and produces a crop. All right, so the condition of your heart determines what you hear this morning. And the, the condition of your heart determines what you see when you get in the Word of God. All right? Um, how many of you all like Pez? Any Pez fans here? Pez? Yeah? Okay. That's the worst, most awful candy you've ever had. It's terrible. Okay? My son one time came up to me and said, hey, Dad, you want some Pez? And I was, I was reading. I was like, no, I don't want Pez. That stuff is nasty. And he goes, Dad, want some Pez? And he had a Darth Vader. And I was like... Heck yeah, man. Give me, give, give me the Pez. That's Darth Vader. And I thought to myself, is that the way I am with the Word of God? Do I only like the Word of God when it's presented to me by a great preacher who can entertain me? Uh, do I only like the Word of God when, when it's, when it's uh, you know, on my tablet, not, not, in the, not in the book, not a real book? Um, how, do I only like the Word of God because of the way it's dressed up? Do I only want it when it's presented in such a, a way that I like? Or do I just love the Word of God? See, something amazing happens, I believe, when I get alone with the Bible, with the Word of God. 
This is what study does for you. Um, study gets you alone with the word of God and begins to change your mind. It begins to lay down pathways in your mind that leads you to health. Um, any athlete knows that practice makes perfect, right? No, no, no. Practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes permanent. If you're practicing it the wrong way, you're going to, make, you're going to uh, have permanently wrong ways of doing things. Practice makes permanent. Well, when you read the Word of God, it lays down pathways in your mind so that when a problem or a situation arises, boom, you know what to do every single time. Right? Your brain literally reorganizes itself to make, this, to, 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 make it, to make it better. You train yourself to know what is right and wrong. You train yourself to know what to do when you, when you approach a situation, you lay down pathways in your mind. See, the, the purpose of study is not to gain knowledge, although that happens. That's a mistake so many people make. But the purpose of goal, the goal of the Word of God is to train your mind so you can serve with a high level of effectiveness. You can disciple others. You can lead your family according to the word of God. You can discern what's right and wrong. You won't fall for deceptive teachings in the media. You, you, you won't fall for what is cool and what is, what is popular, what's on TikTok and what's on uh, uh, YouTube and everything like that. You won't fall for that. So you guys, I started reading the Bible when I was a teenager. I was a sophomore in college. I was 19 years old. It was after I got my call to ministry. Uh, I knew I was going to be going to go into seminary and being the competitive person that I am, I didn't want to look like an idiot walking into seminary, not knowing the word of God. I figured everybody else there knew the Bible. So I started reading it. What a terrible way, reason to read the word of God. But that was in 1993 and I read the Bible to study it, but something amazing happened. A miracle happened. I met Jesus and I'm not, not the Jesus that was presented to me by preachers and, the, and by images in the media. I'm talking the real Jesus as revealed by scripture. See, prior to that, I, I, I thought that Jesus was kind of this nice little guy with a beard that wandered around telling people he loves them. That's not what Jesus was. He did tell people he loved them, but he was not that at all. Jesus was a carpenter. He was a, he was a dude. He was awesome. He preached, and, and he, didn't, he, he spoke truth, and he lived it out, and he defended people who couldn't defend themselves, and he called out the, he called out the powerful and called people to holiness. He called us to lay down our lives, to, to, sur to surrender, to sacrifice, and follow him with everything that we are. That's what Jesus uh, called us to do. I read that in scripture. I was like, man, nothing inspires me like this guy. This is the most amazing thing I've ever seen, and then I realized how much I'd missed out by not getting in the word of God. But then I started doing something else about 20 years ago that completely upended my life. I began before I even opened the word of God. And I wanna challenge you guys to do this too. Saying, Lord, whatever I read, whatever I read in the next five, 10 minutes, I'm gonna do. Doesn't matter what it is, it's gonna do. I'm agreeing in advance with your word. I'm agreeing with it. See, a lot of us read the Bible out of curiosity, but not out of surrender. All right, we, can, we can't approach the word of God with arrogance, saying, well, I like this and I don't like this. That's not what study is, all right? We can't approach the word of God with, with, with an agenda, saying, well, the word of God better not say this because if it does, I'm closing. Well, that shows a problem with you, right? Before we even read one word, we say, God, I'll do whatever it says in advance. Then and only then will the word of God begin to change you and you understand the words 
of Jesus and truly connect with him. And the last one is this, is worship. All right? This is my favorite one. I, well, I love them all, but this is my favorite one. Worship at its heart is acknowledging everything that God is through everything that I am. John 4, 23, Jesus says this, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is seeking out people to worship him. And most of us in here, because you've been in church and because you're wonderful people, think that worship is the song stuff. That's what you think worship is. Well, worship, that's maybe like a, a, a 1% of what worship really is, okay? Author Louis Giglio says this, every heart has an altar and every altar has a throne. On that throne in every heart sits the object of your affection. If you wanna know what the object of your affection is, just follow the trail of your time, your money, your energy, your passion. Whatever's at the end of that trail is who or what you worship, right? In other words, worship is acknowledging the supremacy of whatever your favorite thing is. All right, that's what worship is. Some of you guys worship money because everything in your life is dedicated towards money. Some of you worship sex. Some of you worship your spouse. Some of you worship a home. All of your time, all of your attention goes in your home. See, guys, that is known as idolatry. And what the spiritual discipline of worship means that we remove all of those things and we put God in his rightful place in our lives and we begin all, all of, our, all, all of our, 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 our praise, all of our attention, all of our time, God gets. All right? Everything is worship. And when you realize that everything is worship, let me tell you some things that worship is. You may not even, under, may not even know this. Enjoying the sunshine on a beautiful day and giving glory to God for it. That's worship. Making an honest biz decision that honors God is worship. Telling the truth when you could get away with a lie. That is worship. Loving your spouse, loving your children, loving your parents. That is worship because that's pleasing to God. Forgiving your enemies is worship. See, whenever we do what God wants us to do, it's worship because we're taking what he says to do and being obedient to it, and that pleases him. That is worship. Whenever we follow his ways, whenever we do, we'll do what he says. That is worship, right? Going on a mission trip is worship. Leading a friend to Christ is worship. And here's the great part is if that wasn't good enough, enjoying all the things that God has given us to enjoy is worship. Enjoying food. God gave you taste buds for no other reason than for you to enjoy it. When you enjoy that, that's worship because you're giving praise to God. Uh, every step with a healthy leg, every breath with healthy lungs, every laugh of friends, that is worship because they're gifts that God has given for us to enjoy. I love music. I love to play music. I'm a musician. Um, whenever I get to do what I was designed to do, that's worship. When I'm over here playing bass guitar or anything like that, guys, I'm having the time of my life because I love to play music and God designed me to do that. And when I do that, I just feel his pleasure. Talk to any musician, man. We're just having the time of our lives up here. We hope you all like it too. But man, we are having a blast up here because we love music and we love that God gave us that ability. We're just giving it all right back to him. I love deer hunting, getting out in God's creation, hunting, providing food for my family is worship and I love it. Worship is far more than just singing in church. Worship is an entire way of life. And when you are engaged in the worship of God 24 seven, when your entire life is a huge song to God, you understand what worship really is. 
All right, I invite the band to come on back up. Where we go through life in awe of his creation, in awe of his power, in awe of his goodness, his grace, and his mercy, that is a life of worship. Worship is just the greatness of God on display in your life. I want to ask you guys a, a question, and this is not for you to answer, just to think about. Is the greatness of God on display in your life? Do people look at you and say, wow, God must be great? God must be great because this person, their entire life is shouting praise to him. Everything they do, how they treat me, how they, how they, how they walk into the office, how they, how they, they conduct themselves with customers, how, they, how you look at their family, man, the, the home is just full of joy and, and laughter. Man, that, 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 that God must be great. Because they're doing things God's way, he must really be something. That's what I want for all of you all. See, guys, when worship, uh, when you engage in the spiritual discipline of worship 24-7, you walk through life with a new pair of eyes, looking for ways that God is moving, giving glory to him constantly. How many of you all thank God for the roof over your head t- today? How many of you all thank God that yesterday you didn't go home? Obviously, you didn't starve because you're here. How many of you all are thankful for a church that you could come to without fear of persecution or arrest? How many of you all thought about those things? All those things are worship, giving gratitude back to God. That's worship. When you do that every day, Sunday morning becomes a lot easier. I found that it's very difficult to come in here on Sunday mornings and worship God when you've been worshiping something else the other six days of the week. Very difficult to change tracks. Maybe that's one of the reasons why worship is difficult for some of us because God is not on the throne of our heart. And we've been giving our heart and our passion and our time and our, our interest to something else. And all of a sudden we've got to change gears and got to give it to God in here, and that's tough. But when, you, when worship is your lifestyle, walking in here and praising God, man, it's just not, that's natural. So you guys, we cannot do the work of the kingdom. We're not connected to the king. Prayer, fasting, study, worship. Let's put those into our lives, Catholic Christian Church. Let's connect to the king so he can enable us to do the work of the kingdom. Don't ever confuse intimacy with God for activity for God. Don't ever confuse those two, okay? Intimacy with God first, the primary relationship. This leads to activity for God as a church. Now, let's stand up and let's give this awesome God all of our worship right now.